You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone. From San Francisco, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Wednesday, October 14th, and I am thrilled to have an audience with another very special guest. He is one-third of the excellent Ohio State coverage team at Cleveland.com, going into his second season on the Ohio State beat. His name is Nathan Baird, and you can hear Nathan five times a week on the Buckeye Talk podcast, along with our friends Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. You can also read Nathan's stuff at Cleveland.com forward slash OSU, and we recommend you give him a follow on Twitter at N.W. Baird. That's N.W.B.A.I.R.D. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us on and thanks for uh, pointing people to the work we do. Excellent. Yeah, happy to do it. We're big fans of your work here. We reference it all the time. Nathan, before we get started, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about the text service that Cleveland.com is providing to Ohio State fans? Yeah, absolutely. So we call that uh, Buckeye Talk as well. In fact, that, that predated the the podcast from what I'm told, or at least that's kind of, or maybe the podcast came first, but they called it Buckeye talk because they wanted to, to link them. But um, it's, it's 614-350-3315. If you send the text to that, or you can go online and, and, and there's another way to, to, to sign up. But if you just send a text to that, you'll get back a link to, to sign up to the service. And it's, it, it's the first line of reporting that we do. So mm-hmm. anytime there's breaking news, that's where that text goes out um, first before we start writing anything for the site. And even and certainly before we put it out on Twitter, it's going directly to your phone. Um, today, for instance, when we're doing interviews with Ohio State coaches and players, I'm texting updates straight from that to your phone. And it's not, you know, we kind of gather them together. It's not like you're getting 40 texts, but you're getting the, the, the quick reporting of what they say, but then also our analysis on it, kind of telling you, here's what they said, but here's what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. All of that stuff is from a breaking news standpoint. That's our first line. In addition to that, um, things like analysis, when things happen, we tell you, kind of give you our take on it. That's an important part of that. Stephen Means uh, pretty much daily is giving some kind of recruiting update from Mm -hmm. himself and the little team that we have together that that follows recruiting stuff. Obviously, people probably already know Doug LaMaurice, who's been on this beat for a long time. He's a, a voice that's on the texts. And um, what am I forgetting? Oh, and then also just for the podcast, we use the the text service as a way to interact with people. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do polls. We'll also sometimes just ask a question like, hey, who, do, who are you expecting to be uh, the breakout player of this team? We kind of compile those together and make that sort of a podcast segment. It's a way for fans to have a voice on what is a, a really popular, like, you know, widely listened to podcast on on about Ohio State football. So um, it, it covers a lot of ground and we think it's a really good value. It's a two week free trial. It's $3.99 a month after that. So basically a, a dollar a week and you get to be a part of all that. We had a, a live chat um, or I should say a live podcast that we did last night where people could, um, you know, see us on video and, and, and jump in and interact and, and talk with us and answer questions and ask us questions. And uh, we're also just, we're publishing a book right now. One of the big values right now is if you sign up for the two week free trial, mm-hmm. we're, we have an online book that's about the 2019 season and kind of what it means going forward. And there's, I think 13 chapters. So if you sign up for the, the free trial, 
You can get the ones that have already published this week and you can get all the other ones that will publish before the season and you can get in and out with a free trial and get to read that book for free and decide if you like the free trial. And if, if not, it's easy to, to cancel and just, just text us stop. So, um, right. a lot of, just a lot of value, I think that gets packed into that three ninety nine, and we're really proud of that. And it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's a big part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I'm, I've been a subscriber from the start and I can certainly vouch for all that. It's a great service. Just today, I got your updates from the Zoom call with safeties and special teams coach, Matt Barnes. And there's some illuminating stuff that you revealed in those texts. I want to get into that a little bit later, but it's a great service for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. If you're a rabid Ohio State fan like me, I highly recommend this service. It's really great stuff. Before we jump into the the good stuff, Nathan, I just have a couple of housekeeping items for our listeners I want to mention, and then we'll get going. We actually have a new website. You can visit at southstandsosu.com. We just launched it. You can listen to all of our podcast episodes there and check out our new blog. I've actually written a few pieces for the blog already. We have a new post from a special contributor, Matt Sloan, that's both really, really funny and thoughtful. I suggest you check that out. I'd also like to invite our listeners to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. We'd greatly appreciate your feedback there. Finally, if you have any questions or feedback for us, you can send us an email at thesouthstandsosu at gmail.com. All right. Good stuff. So Nathan, I think probably because it's fresh in your mind, why don't we go ahead and start with the secondary, specifically the safeties, because I thought there was some interesting news coming out of the Zoom call that you were on today with safeties and special teams coach Matt Barnes. He sung the praises uh, the praises of both Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker, who are battling for that deep safety spot. Now, Barnes also said Ohio State still plans to use that single high safety look. I believe he said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, we've been under the assumption for months on this podcast that Josh Proctor would be the man at safety, but it sounds like we have a real battle at that position now. Do you have any insight into uh, who might emerge from that competition, Proctor or Hooker? So I think that had been the assumption, certainly coming out of last season, was that Josh Proctor, because he was the primary backup there, mm-hmm. and also because of just some of the ways, some of the things that we've seen him do on a football field, that he was kind of the heir apparent. He was going to be the one that followed him uh, behind Jordan Fuller and took over as that single high safety this year. Um, and, and and I asked the question today to Matt Barnes to clarify that they were going to stick with that single high look. And, and he said that that will still be the base of the defense because there had been speculation as far as how much more they might play mm-hmm. in going back to a split safety situation. But right, we know Ryan Day likes that single high philosophy. And, and I assumed that that's what they would mostly move forward with this season. Right. But as recently as August or as far back ago, I should say, maybe as August, we had intel. And I think we talked about it on, on Buckeye Talk. Um, through the text and on the pod that Marcus Hooker had been working with the ones and was at least in that mix to be potentially the starter this season. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, Matt Barnes didn't come out and say today who is starting. And it sometimes can be tricky to read tea leaves. Coaches say certain things for certain reasons and don't say certain things for certain reasons. However, from what we heard today, when you think about what, what Ohio State needs at that single high position, you need someone who is rangy you need someone who is i I think you 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 prioritize prioritize dependability over athleticism to some extent Mm -hmm. you need someone who is uh really smart and um can can read back there and be kind of like the quarterback of the defense the way they talk about jordan fuller being last season right this is this whole week has been the, the coaching staff uh kind of raving about jordan fuller if you've been on listen to some of the other calls too um and so today, when when asked today, 
kind of what the difference is between those guys to kind of compare and contrast Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor. Matt Barnes, the first thing he said about Marcus Hooker was that he's a more like a true center fielder, very rangy. Um, what did he say? Kind of like uh, something about his ball skills, just like freakish ball skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like his brother. Everything, <laughs> yeah. So everything he said today makes me think that on opening day, Marcus Hooker is the starting safety for Ohio State football uh, because of the way he describes him. That's what they need from that position. They need the center fielder. They need the guy back there who um, can can line it all up and who they trust to kind of have that dependability sideline to sideline the way that they did with Jordan Fuller last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that Josh Proctor is going to have a role. I think he's going to play uh, with the first string defense at times, but I think it's going to maybe be more situational because he talked about, you know, him in kind of man to man situations or, or playing up near the line of scrimmage, playing up in the box. So maybe instead of last year where you had Pete Werner dropping back to sometimes be that safety when they had to pull the safety up mm-hmm. for other things. I mean, maybe that's an area where, down and distance situations, they look for for to get Josh Proctor on the field in those situations because they talked about, um, or Barnes talked about there being times where they're going to put both of those safeties on the, the field together if mm-hmm. the if the opposition's uh, package and personnel dictate it. So that I don't know if it's a huge surprise, but it it it's it, it's somewhat of a surprise. Maybe um, if you if you if you told somebody in January, I think that it would turn out this way. I think they would be surprised. I don't know that it surprises us who've been falling to beat that much. Okay. Um, that it, that it's happened today. It was just more of a confirmation of things that we had sort of seen and heard behind the scenes. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I found it. I guess I had missed that in the Buckeye talk coverage that hooker was actually getting reps with the ones. And I had been banking actually quite a bit on Proctor kind of fulfilling that promise that we had seen at times last year, but very interesting development. I actually saw somebody on Twitter mention that perhaps Proctor would replace the Sam linebacker in certain situations. I think you've kind of hinted at that, where maybe he plays in the box. He has coverage responsibilities on on maybe the tight end uh, or, or a slot receiver. But yeah, where does that leave Proctor in the mix? I guess you've kind of already said it. He's He's going to be a situational player, it sounds like. It, it sounds like it, although I will say that that then cuts into how much you're putting someone like Baron Browning on the field. Right. Um, although, in, again, in those third down situations, we've we've thought that maybe he had more of a role in the Rushman package, someone they could use as a stand-up uh, rush end the way they did at times last year. So, uh, it you know, we, we've heard all this coach speak for the last few weeks and you try to decide how much of it is coach speak and how much of it is real Intel that they're giving out. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I said, sometimes they say things for us and sometimes they say things for the person they want to hear it. And it may right. or may not have ex- truth to it uh, in the way that we perceive truth to be. Um, <laughs> they're trying to get a message to somebody. And, but if, if so they've talked all along about how multiple they want this defense to be. I mean, Kerry Combs said, that he's open to the concept of not just having different alignments on defense, but having kind of, you know, personnel packages the way that you do on offense. And that he thinks that defenses should adapt that and just become more unpredictable that way. Mm -hmm. I think that that makes a lot of sense, especially for a place like Ohio state with the talent that they're always going to have, just making yourself a little bit more unpredictable Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes being able to take advantage of that, trying to, you know, don't, don't be completely reactive, be maybe more proactive on the personnel you're putting on the field, make the offense adjust to that. Ah. Um, There are obviously some limitations to that at certain positions, maybe, but I think there's merit to it. So maybe that's actually playing out. Maybe now that's why you'll see, you know, Baron Browning doesn't have as big of a role 
or Josh Proctor doesn't have as big of a role or someone else doesn't have as big of a role as you might have expected. But that doesn't mean they can't have still a pretty big impact right. because they're putting them in the, the one specific place that they could maybe maximize what they do. Got it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, while we're on the topic of the secondary, I wanted to get your take on what's happening at cornerback in fall camp. We know Seven Banks and Cam Brown are, are in the mix for the outside corner spot opposite Sean Wade. There's been a lot of buzz about both Banks and Brown this offseason. We talked to Bill Landis at The Athletic back in July, and he was pretty bullish on both Banks and Brown. So they figured to both get a lot of playing time this season. Do you have any insight as to who might emerge there as the starter opposite Wade, Banks or Brown? My assumption is it's going to be Banks, but I also think that it's it's going to revert kind of back to the way that starting cornerbacks were the first time Kerry Combs was here to some extent. I mean, Sean Wade probably won't come off the field that much. I know Ryan Day said the other day that all of their starters, with the exception of Justin Fields, would probably come out a little bit. And he didn't mention the offensive line there. I think there's probably some exceptions there too. Right. But saying, specifically said, Sean Wade's not going to play every snap as far as with the first string defense. And that may be true, but I would still expect him to play a lot there. But I think all along, we've thought that there was a good chance that that second cornerback slot it may not be a 50-50 split, but that second cornerback slot might be some combination of Banks and Brown. Hmm. So maybe it's it's like 60-40, something like that. Whoever starts, uh, think of it almost in terms of what they did last year with Tuff Borland and Baron Browning at middle linebacker, where Tuff right. Borland was the starter, obviously, and he was the starter. But they, by the end of the season, those guys were playing, if not equal snaps, sometimes Baron Browning playing more snaps, right. Baron Browning playing maybe some of those more pivotal snaps at the end of a game. And or in, especially in like big situations, they needed like his athleticism on the field. So I could see something like that emerging at this cornerback spot where it's a spot that's largely shared with two guys. Or maybe it's a three man rotation. Brown plays is the one who takes those snaps when Wade has to come out or, or they, they decide to bring Wade out. Whatever, something along those lines. But I think I agree with Bill. I mean, we, we saw seven banks the first day. We didn't hardly get a look in the spring, as you know. I mean, right. we were supposed to have like several viewing opportunities in Ohio State. I don't know how they had been in the past, but I was kind of ref- it was refreshing to hear that we were going to get to see them that many times with our own eyes and kind of see that team develop in the spring. And obviously, cornerback was among the things that we needed to see the most um, or wanted to see the most. So we could bring intel to the people out there like yourself and, and your listeners and from the first day, I mean, seven banks just looked the part. I mean, he was mm-hmm. just kind of physically just kind of exploding that day, uh, had a couple of picks in practice. Like you couldn't have had like a better for a position that like wanted to probably show up and impress all these goofballs who are there to watch you and, <laughs> and scrutinize you and evaluate you and, and go back and write flowery things about you. That was about as good a day as you could have had for a cornerback. And th- then we all went and did that. Um, and, and Cam Brown, didn't do anything amazing that day. Neither did Tyreek Johnson or really not. Maybe none of the other cornerbacks did. That doesn't necessarily mean though that they weren't going to keep developing and have a fine spring. And then, then we didn't get to see them anymore. That was like the only practice we saw. So we don't didn't get to see other things develop behind the scenes, but just from what we've heard about how things are lining up in practice, um, in the Intel, we've, we've been able to, to drag out, Banks has still been working with the ones. I would expect him to be the starter opposite Wade mm-hmm. to start the season. But I also think Brown's going to be pretty heavy in the mix there. It sounds like Marcus Williamson is the front runner at that slot corner spot. And I think that's really interesting because yeah. at the end of last season, that wasn't someone we were really talking about in speculation about that. Right. It's, I think this happens at Ohio State a lot of times. Guys come in and even when they're you know pretty solid recruits in terms of their rankings and stuff, you get stuck behind so much other talent. 
And then these other big time prospects are coming in behind you. So after a while, you're like just another senior or junior who was a top 150 recruit or 200 or whatever, mm-hmm. who hasn't had a chance to prove it. So people assume they kind of write you off. And, and he's someone that people have, have talked you know, favorably about as being a guy who's, who's done some good things in practice. And he, he maybe he can kind of emulate some of those Sean Wade like qualities that that worked so well for them in the slot last year. I, I meant to ask you about Marcus Williamson. I, I'm glad you brought him up. He was a top 200 recruit in the 2017 class, so somebody that Kerry Combs actually recruited. He's a bit undersized, as I understand, about five five nine, if I'm not mistaken. I was also surprised to hear his name as the man emerging at that slot corner position. But it sounds like he's uh, he's up to the task if he's emerged uh, in a very competitive situation in fall camp. You mentioned him earlier, Tyreek Johnson. I wanted to ask you about about him. You know, Tyreek was a top twenty five recruit in the twenty eighteen class. I know he was dealing with an injury last season. He took a red shirt in twenty eighteen, but we've not heard much buzz about Johnson, which which has been a little disappointing. Does he factor in in, in the secondary at all this season? Do you think? I think just about everybody will, especially early on, because I, I, I believe them when they say they want to rotate bodies there the way that Kerry Combs did the first time. You know, right. last season, obviously Combs wasn't there, but they were also in a situation where I think there was a pretty big gap between the three guys that they had and mm-hmm. what was below. You could put those three guys on the field and have them on for every single important snap of the season, Akuda, Arnett, and Wade. And why would you not do that? Well, right. this year, you've got Wade on one side. I don't know that we know yet exactly what the ceiling is for these other guys so maybe that gets proven in time maybe they decide at some point we just can't take seven banks off the field we can't take cam brown off the field we've got to find a way to get him more snaps and that changes the rotation but i would assume early in the season you're going to see guys like tyreek johnson still get rotated through and, and get some snaps in with the rest of that first string defense whether that lasts whether they can hold it i think that remains to be seen and I take them at their word that they're going to just base this on what is happening in practice. And sometimes I think that can be a good thing that happens. Maybe this coaching change is happening at a, an important juncture for Ohio state because you don't have a holdover, you know, Halfley leaves Combs comes back in and not only is he giving fresh eyes to this stage of their career, but he's also the guy who recruited a lot of those guys. He can reach back and say, Hey, I saw you when you were a senior and junior in high school. I saw what you were capable of. You're not doing it yet. Here's what you need to correct to get onto that trajectory. You know, I still believe in you, that sort of thing, you know, Uh, because sometimes I think players, when there's coaching changes, um, they feel like maybe they get written off. They don't get a fair shake from the new guy. I know Baron Browning talked about that last year, that the previous coaching staff, he just felt there was a disconnect. He wasn't Mm -hmm. playing his best football and he had some culpability there too. But then, you know, Al Washington comes in and all of a sudden it kind of rejuvenated him. We saw him have a much more productive year last year. Right. And I think that could maybe happen a little bit with some of these cornerbacks if if they're still willing, though, to put in the work. And it, it's a position where it all kind of comes down to discipline. We, you know, today, Matt Barnes was talking a lot about, in terms of Josh Proctor, talking a lot about consistency as still being the big factor for him. Like the, the, the ceiling is there. I mean, it's not it's not a figment of people's imagination that he can make these big plays and and these kind of highlight reel interceptions and the big hits, like all that stuff is real. It just doesn't, there's too many gaps in between. There's too many lapses. And I think that's probably what you need to see more of from the the people, the level of Tyreek Johnson. I mean, it, it, it was nothing. It didn't mean something that he hadn't become a first string cornerback yet for this team there was just too much talent ahead of him mm-hmm. but i thought it did mean something last year that he really was not even in that second level of the rotation he was kind of on the outside of the depth chart uh-huh. in, in reality outside of the two deep I and agree. i think that's he he ohio state doesn't need him to be jeff akuda 
next. I mean, obviously it'd be great for them if he were, but they don't need him to be Jeff Okuda this season. They just need him to be someone they can depend on in that second rung of the, the 2D. Um, that's still where he kind of needs to prove himself first. And then it's it's building on that. Yeah, with with Johnson, I agree with you. I, I was a little concerned last year that he wasn't really in the mix anywhere close to the two deep. And there just didn't seem to be a lot of buzz around him. You know, over the years, observing, you know, from afar, there are players that emerge as stars, but you hear about them earlier in the career before they're able to get on the field. You hear about what they're doing in practices. They're turning heads in practice. People are are raving about them. Coaches and teammates are raising, raving about them. And Johnson was one of those players that it just seemed there wasn't a lot of buzz around him when he arrived. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that that uh, he could get into the mix this year. And I and I think you make a really interesting point there about Combs being kind of a fresh start for him, a new set of eyes. And, and maybe that'll be kind of a rebirth for Johnson here going, going down the, the back half of his career. Why don't we move to the linebackers? Because there have been some interesting developments this offseason there. I was personally very surprised to hear the news that Pete Warner would be moving from the Sam to the Will. Now, when I think of weak side linebackers at Ohio State, I think freaky athleticism. I think preternatural instincts. I think ball hawking, playmaking ability. I think A.J. Hawk, Ryan Shazier, Jerome Baker. Now, I say I think Werner is a, a good, solid, probably undervalued player at the SAM. I certainly think he's got an NFL future. He seems like a really good athlete. But you correct me if I'm wrong here, Nathan. I just don't see the kind of athleticism or playmaking ability from Werner to be the kind of impact player Ohio State needs at the will. And I understand, you know, he had a different role with coverage responsibilities and so forth last year in the SAM, but I'm looking at five and a half tackles for losses last year, zero sacks. I don't know how many times they actually sent him after the quarterback, probably not a lot, but no sacks, two fumble recoveries, no interceptions, though he was in coverage quite a bit. I don't know. Well, the other thing that you and Doug and Stephen had talked about is that the will is that position, that player that almost never leaves the field this season that looks to be Pete Warner. It appears that, you know, he's going to be the man, he's going to be the anchor of that linebacker core. I worry some folks maybe are getting a little over their skis with Warner. Maybe he's being miscast. Maybe a little too much is being asked of him in that role. Nathan, what are your thoughts on Warner's move to the will? Similar to what you're seeing with Marcus Hooker, I think this comes down to, in a lot of ways, just the dependability that C&P Werner. And because they mm -hmm. feel like when they look at those linebackers, who's the one that they can't afford to take off the field? I think it's Pete Werner. Yeah. I think you know they they can they, they know what they have with Tough Borland, and they did it last season. There's guys that you can sub in for him in certain scenarios. Uh, certainly in like nickel packages, he was a guy that was coming off the field, and you were using two different linebackers there, usually Harrison and Browning, or Harrison and I guess Werner sometimes, some combination of that. Um, I agree with you that at first glance, it didn't necessarily make – it wasn't our, our obvious choice. I mean, we didn't come out of last season thinking – well, in this coming fall, they're obviously going to move Warner inside. That wasn't really what we we're thinking. The mm -hmm. way they describe it, though, it does start to make more sense to me. I, I agree that he doesn't, at first glance, compare athletically, uh, dynamically to those guys that you mentioned. Um, I will say, though, that just, I guess, in terms of reliability, in terms of having the guy that you feel like you can't take off the field, the guy who I think also has enough uh, football instinct, kind of football IQ, that he can adapt at that position. I think that's also the other thing to remember. It's not, you're not making this choice in a vacuum. You're making it relative to the other options that you have to put there. Right. So if you're not going to move Pete Warner there, that means you were either going to move Baron Browning in there, which is what we actually thought might happen first. But I, again, I think it gets back to, um, 
it gets back to kind of just like, do they want him in a position where he's um, having to make those reads and, or do they want him in a position where maybe he can be more um, reactive and, and just sort of more freedom of movement. I think they can get that out of him at the Sam. I think from what he's proven, what he's shown in three years, I think they think that's the better fit for him. So then are you moving one of those juniors up and putting them at the will to where it's, you know, Taraja Mitchell, uh, Kayvon Pope, Dallas Gantt, one of those guys, does he fit better at the will? And if so, are you keeping him on the field at all times instead of someone like Pete Werner, Mm. who's losing snaps that way? Mm. I don't think that math necessarily added up to them. So it's, Mm. it's, it's taking, looking at that whole group and saying, who's the one guy that we feel like can, is the, is the Malik Harrison in terms of not necessarily the kind of football player they are, but just in terms of we can't take him off the field. That's where I think that Werner decision was made. Got we'll it. see if that costs them somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you, though, that I think Pete Werner was a little bit underrated. Right. Um, the whole linebacker crew, I mean, I, obviously I started coming into last season. So I, I have I had a vague perspective on 2018 from someone who just followed um, football from a wider perspective in the Big Ten and, and, and who was there for the, um, the Purdue Ohio State game, obviously. (laughs) And so I knew that linebacker had been a situation, but I guess I I didn't until I got here and started reporting on this team and hearing from fans. I didn't realize just how much of um, a sense of kind of dread or um, that's not the right word, but just like how big of a concern there was about Mm -hmm. that group and about turning that group around and getting it headed in the right direction about it potentially being this big kind of crater in the middle of the defense. And that obviously wasn't the case last year. I think they, they all asserted themselves really well. Orland was healthy and had kind of his bounce back here. Malik Harrison was a, one of the most underrated players in the big 10. He was good. And, and Werner's mm-hmm. yeah. Werner's right in that list behind him. But again, because of the way that the Sam linebackers used at Ohio state, it, it's, it's just, it is. It's it's an outside linebacker spot. You're a lot of times you're just following the the tight end around. We saw last year those those few times where he's actually dropping back into deeper coverage. So it, it wasn't really a position to pile up a bunch of stats, right. and especially from like a pass rushing standpoint, there was there wasn't really the opportunity right. for that. I'm actually kind of intrigued by what happens now if you start to use him more like that. If you mm-hmm. put him put him where Malik Harrison was and then ask him to do Malik Harrison things, what does Pete Werner's football skills allow him to do in that position? It may not be exactly what Malik Harrison did, but it may not, that doesn't actually mean it's going to be something less. It could just be something different. Interesting. Okay. Well, he certainly has great size and, and enough athleticism to be uh, an effective player there. And I guess we'll see just how good he can be. I'm curious now what this means for Baron Browning. You mentioned moving him to the, to the, uh, to the Sam is, is he going to have coverage responsibilities now? I mean, personally, I think that's that's kind of a waste of Browning's talents. I, I think he's got a niche as a pass rusher. We saw it last year. He can really get after the quarterback. I'm wondering if maybe somebody else comes in and passing situations. We mentioned it earlier, maybe maybe that player is Proctor and he kind of plays the role of the Sam and, and Browning is then moved into a pass rushing position there. But I would certainly hate for him to be kind of a bit like Warner's role last year where he's really out in coverage a lot and really not along around the line of scrimmage making plays or getting into the backfield. What do you think this means for Browning? You know, I agree with you that just the idea of him following Pat Fryermuth and other tight ends around the field as like an escort doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I also don't know that that's the best skill set matchup for him mm-hmm. either. Um, so I, I share those concerns. I wrote about this for the site earlier this week. And I don't know if it was some of my best analysis because I still I still feel like I agree with you that I think 
Baron Browning needs to be playing downhill in some way. Yeah. He needs to be um, just his physicality, his athleticism, um, getting to the ball. I think those are important. And being, being a force in the box up front, I still think is something that needs to be a big part of his game. He says he wants to be outside. He says that that's where he's most comfortable. But I think that says, that plays as much to the concept of using him as a, a pass rusher as anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily that he's super excited about being out there covering tight ends and stuff. So I, I what I wrote was essentially, and I do believe this, that if he's willing to embrace a more specialized role, and if Ohio State has, buys into just using him in that specialized role, that maybe could be where you could get a big impact out of him. We saw mm-hmm. last year as a pass rusher what he was able to do. Now, again, I will caution people, you can go back and look at those. The five sacks he had, either three or four of them came when he was lined up as an edge rusher next to Chase Young. That's right. So Chase Young is, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I might have been able to, I'm pretty <laughs> old and slow and fat, but I might have been able to get a sack last year if I'm lining up next to Chase Young and nobody's blocking me. I mean, right. certainly nobody would block me if they saw me on a football field. So that's, I'm being hyperbolic. But, you know, with, with Bear, it definitely was a factor in why Baron Browning was able to get those sacks. He's not going to be lining up next to, to Chase Young this year. He's going to have to maybe get those a little bit more on his own. doesn't mean he still can't be an effective weapon that way. So I think it's just a matter of if, if they're going to buy into this, it, it's got to come from both sides. It's got to be the coaching staff saying, not really dabbling with this, saying like, listen, we've evaluated everyone. We are going with situationally the best athlete for all 11 spots, and here's who they are, and that's the end of the story. We're not playing games with this. If they move forward with that and then you have a room full of guys, the tougher part is getting a room full of guys who buy into that. You got guys like Baron Browning, who this is their last year of college football, and they're supposed to be in the NFL next year. They want to make that impact to show that their show teams are worthy of that. Mm-hmm. He's not the only person in that uh, category. You've got a whole group of juniors that are like really anxious, eager for their opportunity, but they've also got to prove that they're worthy of it. So there's, uh, there would seem to be some really good competition in that linebacker room still. And I, I think it makes sense that they're going to try to move guys around, but would it also not shock me at the end of the day if you still basically just saw three starters carry this team through the season? That, that probably wouldn't shock me either. I think it's just it should happen organically, and it should happen whatever plays out on the field. We shouldn't forget about Justin Hilliard, I suppose, right. as another okay. option at that Sam spot. Um, I'm just hesitant that they're going to give that spot to him. I will say – you know, they used him last year, but it was exclusively really just against Wisconsin that he was right. a, a starting level player in those four linebacker looks that they gave Wisconsin. So does that mean that they trust him enough that he could be an early down um, a Sam linebacker and then you switch to someone else that's maybe a little bit uh, more athletically dynamic in, in that next later downs or whatever, or you move to Browning for those pass rush situations? I mean, you could end up having like three guys sharing that, that Sam spot, I, I suppose. I just wonder how much I leaves you exposed in other ways because um, there's obviously a reason why they weren't trusting him more in, mm-hmm. in other scenarios. So we'll see. I, some of this is because we haven't seen him in the spring and we've had very limited uh, access to the team at all, obviously in the fall. We're, we're, we're kind of speculating and basing on just like little tidbits we're hearing here and there, but uh, we'll know a lot more once they actually line up on, on October 24th. It's going to be kind of interesting just to see the warmups on October 24th, let alone to actually see this team. <laughs> Right. Then go out and play, you know, the first few series of football to see where guys actually are lining up. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's something that might, the, these competitions at linebacker might linger into the season just a little bit. I personally have been writing this for our site and also talking about it on our podcast. I really feel like the linebackers need to find another level this year. I'm hoping that 
you know, someone like Warner and Tough Borland, Browning, the guys that they've been leaning on so far, have another gear that they can find because I do think they were able to get through a Big Ten schedule last year. I certainly believe they'll be able to get through a truncated Big Ten schedule that doesn't present a lot of hurdles uh, during the regular season. Where I worry, though, is the postseason. And well, let me ask you this. If you're Dabo Sweeney, how are you feeling about Travis Etienne against the Ohio State linebackers? If you're Nick Saban, how are you feeling about the matchup of Najee Harris against the Ohio State linebackers? I would think both of those coaches maybe are feeling pretty good about those matchups. What do you think? Well, I mean, this is the season to me for Ohio State. It's it's answering questions like that on defense. Right. Because, I, I mean, Dabo Swinney knows how he ma- how Travis Etienne matched up against Ohio right. State. He matched up really well really last well. year. Yeah, That's how they won that game. And that was when, Ohio, when Clemson still had to worry about Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and those three fifth-year senior tackles. And all those guys are gone. So now – and so now you've got a defense that, you know, that pass rush last year and just Chase Young alone and then Jeff Okuda taking half the field. I mean, that cleans up a lot of other problems or it it, it minimizes those it problems. Does. And now those things can much more easily get exposed because you've got players of that caliber who are no longer on the field. I've been pretty uh, bearish about the Ohio State defense. I still think they have a chance to win the national championship. I, that's who I've think will win the national championship when I had to compare them and Clemson head to head. But there's enough concern there for me at really every level of the defense. And linebacker is almost the one that I'm the least concerned about. Huh. And maybe just because we know those guys so well, they've been around for so long, you know that there's a steadiness that they can get to. But we've already talked about the cornerbacks and then look at what's happening right now personnel-wise at at the three technique and just yeah. really the defensive tackle depth overall. Let's move to um, that. Actually. I'd like to, that was yeah. going to be my next question. I, I, I share your concerns. Why don't you go ahead and talk about what's happening there at, uh, at defensive tackle? Well, yeah, I mean, coming out of last season, it actually looked like it should have been a, a potential strength of this team. We didn't, you know, I've never seen Tron Vincent play football because I got here, like we said before last season, he did not play a snap of football last year. But you can just look at his background and what he brings to the table athletically. Mm-hmm. I think I know that they're excited about what he could be as a college football player. And you had Haskell Garrett in front of him as a maybe a guy with more experience. One of those players who probably got overlooked a little bit last year because they don't play a lot of snaps. But that was because there was such a glut of talent ahead of him. But I think he had the respect of the people on this team that he could handle this a big 10 role. So those two guys, you thought, all right, well that you're going pretty deep at defensive tackle at at three technique right there. Well, we don't know if either of those guys are healthy to start the year. Obviously people know about what happened with Haskell Garrett in this, this incident where he suffered the gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. And we know he's been back at practice, but as of last week was not a full participant. They didn't know if he was going to be ready for the season opener. And Tron Vincent was not at the portion of practice that we were allowed to see a couple weeks ago, I guess that was what October 3rd or so that we saw that practice. Um, we were told that he was there just wasn't at the portion we saw, which I don't know what to make of that necessarily, mm-hmm. but it seems like there may also be some limitations there. Cause Larry Johnson um, said the other day, I guess it was last week we talked to him that he wasn't committing to him being ready either for the start of the season. Right. So all of a sudden you've got a lot of questions in the middle of this defense. Um, and on and next to that, you've got Tommy Togiai and you've got Antoine Jackson. And that's another guy who's been sort of around and you think has this potential, but maybe just hasn't had the full opportunity to show it. And now he's going to be a guy that they depend on in a big way right away. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about these concerns, I've, I've had some blowback from our readers and listeners when I point out all these concerns because it sounds like I'm saying this defense is going to be trash or it's going <laughs> to fall back to like the 2018 level. And I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to be better than that. 
but is this a national championship defense? I think that's a fair question to ask. The offense may be so good that it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. but I think there are enough positions. If we were only talking about three technique, that would be one thing. But if you're talking about three technique and are the linebackers hitting their ceiling or can they be better? And, uh, Two of your three cornerback spots, how good are they? And you've got a new starter at safety, and it isn't going to be the starter. Everyone was expecting to kind of take that job and run with it. Now it's going to be the the, the lower-ranked prospect who's kind of working his way up there. So, like, enough of those things pile up that you start to – I think it becomes a real question. Yeah. So it's not that they – it's not me saying that they can't be that. It's me saying, will they be that? And we have to just kind of watch it unfold over the course of the season. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've been uneasy about – the Ohio State defense, a little uneasy. I, I don't want to ex- exaggerate. I don't want to go too far because there is talent there and they've recruited well and there's good reason to trust the player development track record of guys like Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs. But I share your concerns now with the, the developments at defensive tackle. One thing I had said this offseason, I personally believe, I know there's this sentiment among many of the experts that Ohio State doesn't have to be great on defense. They just have to be good enough because of what the offense is going to bring to the table. I, I'm not sure I agree with that sentiment because, again, I'm looking at this team through the lens of can they beat Alabama and Clemson in back-to-back playoff games? Uh, that's That, to me, is really the measuring stick. We know that what they have is more than likely good enough to get them through a Big Ten schedule. But is the defense going to be good enough to get through an Alabama and a Clemson? And I'm looking at Teron Vincent. I, I'm with you. And I remember his dad. His dad was a, a star defensive back at Wisconsin back in the day, a five-time Pro Bowler uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. I was very excited when, uh, when Vincent came to Columbus. He was a, the number one defensive tackle prospect in the 2018 class, a top 20 player. So I was very disappointed to hear that he's not quite ready to come back yet. And I really thought that Vincent's emergence as a – as an impact player on this defense, was one of the keys to this defense getting back to greatness in in uh, 2020, and it looks like we're going to have to wait a little bit there. Now I'm now I'm getting a little concerned though with Penn State looming there in week two. You've got the lack of depth there inside at the uh, the defensive tackle spots. Again, the questions we've just discussed about linebacker ceiling and some of the new faces in the secondary, and you're facing a pretty darn good team at Penn State in week two on the road. I don't know. I, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit right now on greatest Ohio State team in history. I think that's what you guys talked about yesterday on the uh, the Zoom call with fans on the podcast. Was that the question, whether Ohio State could have the most special season in program history? Yeah. Could this be the greatest season in Ohio State football history? Yeah. And there's, there were a lot of semantic arguments about difference between greatest season and greatest team. So people can go listen to that podcast and kind of see how it's a good we, we broke that down. That it's not necessarily is this the greatest collection of talent. It Could it be the greatest season? And we talked about what that could mean. Got it. Okay. So real quick then, you've already mentioned one of the players that could be stepping in here. That's Antoine Jackson. Correct me if I'm wrong about this. He was actually an Auburn recruit back in 2016, top 50 recruit. Things didn't work out for him at Auburn. He went to junior college, then came to Ohio State in 2018, was one of the top defensive tackle prospects out of junior college coming to Ohio State. So he's he's got the pedigree, right? He's got the credentials to be a very good defensive tackle here. Who else do you think might emerge would they bring a defensive end, someone from the defensive end rotation into the middle as kind of a stopgap solution? Who are the next men up? So I think early on, if if Vincent and Garrett are both unavailable, I think you will see someone like a Tyler Friday maybe slide over and play some of that three technique position. I mean, it's the reverse of what we saw last year when they had 
depth at defensive end, but had some injuries to start the year. Cooper, mm-hmm. um, he was either Smith or Friday, I think was out to start the season. So they took Jay Sean Cornell and slid him back out to defensive end where he had started his career because they had more depth at defensive tackle. That was really just a one game thing. Cause then they got a little bit more healthy at, at end. I think you could maybe see the opposite of that. I think you could say they have so much depth at defensive end that they could maybe slide Vincent or slide Tyler Friday in at least in some, and he, didn't he all but admitted that's going to happen like he wouldn't give up the goods when we talked to him last week but basically said yeah we got we're working on some stuff we'll, we'll see what happens i think larry johnson had hinted at it too um didn't didn't deny that that was in the mix so is it going to be a early down thing probably not I, I like if i had to guess right now if those guys aren't healthy i think you're starting um tommy togiai and maybe antoine jackson next to him as the first string defensive line against nebraska uh, but then where they go depth wise after that, I, it gets thin fast. I yeah. think at least in terms of like proven experience, I mean, they've talked about, um, they talked about some other really young guys, or you've got someone like John cage, I guess that's another one of those guys that's just been around for a while, but has never really been in a, 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 a spot that mattered for lack of a better term. Right. And, and, and now they'd be asking him, it's just one of those guys that they're, more and more they seem to be asking guys who've always been these these deep background guys to like step up and be maybe if not front row guys then you know that that next row behind and and maybe we over analyze that and because that happens a lot i mean that happens at every program and at ohio state at least you have the luxury of those guys back there being players who would be starting for a lot of other programs but again by the standard that you're setting and i think the standard that we should all be analyzing this program by it's not about the team that you need to beat Rutgers or even Michigan state mm-hmm. or even Michigan in some ways, it's the, it's the, it's the roster you need, the starting lineup you need to beat Alabama and Clemson. Yeah. And so that's where I think this defense does still have a little bit of something to prove. I think last year they came in with a chip on their shoulder and it was a lot of those guys who were coming back from the year before when they had been pretty bad at times. And that's why that chip was on their shoulder this year. And and maybe and maybe last year it was more of something in their mind and it was a media and fan creation. Well, this year, I mean, they it's not that they should have a chip on their shoulder. It's just guys who have to prove that they belong as front uh, front row Big Ten players and they, they've never been in that spot before. And until they do it, it's fair to ask, is that guy ready? Yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with you. Yeah, boy, it worries me a little bit that they might have to lean on some really young guys at defensive tackle at least for a few weeks because it's really that is one position where you really need a few years. And, and some time in the in the weight room, putting on weight and strength. So we'll we'll see how that develops. Nathan, I'm 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 mindful of your time. I know we're we're running out of time, and I want to get your thoughts on some of the things happening on the other side of the ball. And maybe we can go kind of rapid fire real quick here, and then I'll get you out of here. The Ohio State running backs. It looks like all signs might be pointing to a 50-50 split between Master Teague and Trey Sermon. How do you see the running game in 2020? Yeah, it really does seem like some kind of a timeshare, and that's sort of what I thought would happen all along. I don't know that it'll be a 50-50 split. I think it could be situational, maybe a hot hand kind of thing. Somebody else, one of those two guys, the matchup fits him better that day, so he gets the ball more or is just being more productive for whatever reason that game. Okay. And, you know, Tony Offord talked about them being, at least the goal is that everybody is an all-around back and can thrive in any situation but i think that's not uh, realistic necessarily i think those these guys do have some differences in whether that's physically whether that's athletically it's not that necessarily one is 
better than the other. It's just that they're different kinds mm-hmm. of players. And I think you're going to see that maybe a little bit in the way that they're used and in the situations where one might thrive and the other one might be just adequate or whatever. So um, I, I think it's it, it creates some interesting options, I think, for Ohio State. You know, Ryan Day even said on a call that we had with him Tuesday that there's scenarios where they might put two running backs on the field together. And I think that's interesting. I think, I think Ohio state, like, I I, I don't know. I, maybe this is just too much being from um, the era of uh, the video game era or whatever, but I feel like you should, they should just be more experimental. I mean, just put, put more things out there and keep the opponent guessing. You can't just be completely wild with it. I think you have to know what your identity is. You have to know who you are and play to your strengths. Mm -hmm. But if you have two guys that are essentially that same level and you've got an offensive line as talented as this one in front of them, um, just, I I think having two guys there, if you can put them both on the field and keep the opponent guessing. And then on top of that, you've got a a quarterback that can run the ball the way that that Justin Fields can. Um, That means you're taking somebody else off the field, obviously, when you're putting the two running backs back there. So you're either going without a tight end, you're going with one less receiver. So you're, you're giving up something, but I think if it just gives them more options, I I'm, I'm curious and eager to kind of see how they decide to use that. But I, I, I think I, it's a good thing for this program. You know, after that first day of spring practice, I guess I should say the second day when we found out how severe the master Teague injury was Mm -hmm. and Trey Sermon was not yet a part of this program. And Marcus Crowley obviously is not back to full health from where he was after tearing the ACL last year. I mean, look at where this, this program was in terms of its running back position. I mean, it was (laughs) kind of a, no offense to steel chambers and Mayan Williams, no, but it was, it was a, it big, was a big problem. Yeah. Like a big problem, right? This was, that was not a, a national championship level running back situation. And I'm not saying that these guys are going to be JK Dobbins, but now to have Trey Sermon in the program and healthy and have master Teague way ahead of schedule in terms of his health. Mm-hmm. That's, that's two options now that I think behind this offensive line and in conjunction with Justin Fields, gives you the kind of running threat that you're going to need to keep defenses honest. I'm really interested to see what Sermon can do in a balanced offense with a great offensive line, as as you've mentioned it. In hindsight, Sermon was probably not the best fit for those quarterback-focused, pass-happy offenses at Oklahoma. I mean, those offenses relied heavily on the quarterback for production in the run game. If you look at 2018, Kyler Murray ran for 1,000 yards. Last year, Jalen Hurts led Oklahoma both in rushing and rushing attempts. And on top of that, Oklahoma always seems to take a two-back approach to the run game anyway. Uh, That was the case going all the way back to Bob Stoops. So any running back in that system is almost always sharing carries with both a quarterback and a second running back. Well, Sermon may have more opportunities in this offense, and and I'm anxious to see what he can do. You mentioned Justin Fields in the run game. In your opinion, given what happened last year with the knee injury and the impact that it had later in the season, especially in that Clemson game, how much should they be using him? We've had a lot of discussion about this on the site or on the uh, podcast, I should say. And I don't know that I see, I don't know if I change a lot from the way they used him last season. I don't, I I think it's never going to be, I don't think like a Cam Newton kind of situation or even an Oklahoma's kind of situation Mm -hmm. where your quarterback is the, it's a, it's a very quote unquote college offense where the quarterback is this being unto himself that kind of just is the focus of the whole offense and either he's throwing it or running it. And that's the primary option I, that I don't see that path for Justin Fields. I think he's just too dangerous of a weapon as a passer, both in terms of his, his arm and his mind and, and everything he can do out there. And you have too many other legitimate receiving weapons to, to use. Mm-hmm. So I, I still see it being more like what he did last year. Um, now, will they, I, I, I could see a situation though, where they turn to him even more, 
around the goal line. Like if, if you think he is the most trusty, trustworthy option over even these two guys, these two other guys you have, Sermon and Teague, mm-hmm. and he's the guy that can get the ball in the end zone the most. I mean, I could see a situation where his his uh, rushing touchdowns increase this year. Okay. And I think he had 10 last year. So, I mean, um, averaging, you know, one every game and a half or whatever. So, I mean, I think that, that could go up. Um, I just don't know that I see them, like, completely cutting him loose and just letting him run wild. Um, but because he just – because of all things you can do with him in the passing offense and also because if – there is no Justin Fields on the field and they did run into an injury situation with him late last season. Can you win a national championship with the other quarterbacks that they have on this roster? Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. I think they need to so protect I think you him do a little have bit. To, you, yeah. yeah. You can't put him in a bubble. You can't, you can't wrap him in plastic, but you do have to be smart with how much you just turn him loose. And, and there, I think there are, there is a diminishing level of returns when you start running him a lot on his own, when you have so much other talent that can take that ball. That makes total sense, and and I'm, and I'm in total agreement with you there. Well, let's let's shift over to the receivers and the passing game here real quickly. I've been reading that Jamison Williams has emerged as the third starter along with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I'm wondering if you're hearing the same thing. Now, we know that Wilson is moving to the slot, and then Jamison and Olave would then be your X and Y or some combination, vice versa. I can never tell who should be the X or Y. It's always been a little confusing for me, but it sounds like Jamison Williams has emerged. That's a bit of a surprise to me. Is that what you've been hearing? Yeah. I mean, he's certainly in the mix for that. And I, it's one of those things too, though, if, if they decide to rotate six guys, then starter is, it doesn't mean nothing. Um, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get any more snaps than the guy right behind you, right. whoever they rotate in behind him. Um, I will say I, the, the big question is how much are these freshmen going to contribute right away? And that's early on. Once this COVID stuff started happening, we could sort of see this shift start starting to develop where James Williams, just because of the experience he had, was maybe going to have a leg up on some of these freshmen coming in. It's mm-hmm. not that James Williams isn't talented in his own right. He's another example of some sometimes one of those guys that, you know, pretty highly ranked guy, a lot of talent comes in and then they have so much receiving talent flooding in over these next this class and the next one that he gets forgotten a little bit and then you have Garrett Wilson kind of running off and hiding as a freshman and, and, and breaking out in a way that Jameson Williams didn't so I think that's where he also got forgotten a little bit too so I, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's in a position to have um, a, a potentially big season as a freshman or as a, a sophomore here um, now how does that rotation shift over the course of a year mm-hmm. as these freshmen get more reps um, in full pads at full speed, full contact things that they're still, I think kind of progressing through as a, as a team, you know, when Brian Hartline and Ryan day talk about this offense, that's one of the things they keep bringing up is they know the talents there with these young guys, but you don't know necessarily what's there until they get smacked in the mouth a little bit. And they, it's happened a little bit. They've had some of those practices, but I don't think they've had as many yet to get the full assessment that they want. So once we know more about those guys, it's possible that you could see some of these rotations shift as far as who's starting and who's not. You saw that over the course of last year, too. Garrett Wilson, by the end of the season, had a much bigger role in this offense than he did uh, for the season opener. That makes sense. So it sounds like Jamison Williams, he's kind of a placeholder right now at, at one of those starting spots. And we might expect that some of these younger uh, Ballyhooed freshmen, Julian yeah. Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigma might move into that role and take more of that playing time over the course of the season. I don't know if I'd say... Yeah, I don't know if I'd say placeholder though. I mean, because I could see 
there's also a scenario where he just is better than them this mm-hmm. whole season. He's got a year of experience. And like I say, he's a talented receiver in his own right. I and mean, he may just be the best guy that needs to be on the field more. I'm just saying that in terms of how much they, they rotate guys. I, I we also kind of theorize like, do, do you want a scenario where your first string is Olave Wilson and Williams? And then your second string is three true freshmen. And you're, that's how you're doing the rotation. And so then that, that second rotation just brings in three true freshmen. Um, Cause we, you know, it could be Jackson Smith and Jigba at the slot and Fleming and G Scott on the outside. Right. Is that what you really want? Like mm, do, good do you point. need more of a veteran on that second string? We don't know that yet. We can't, we haven't gotten a, a complete read on their line of thinking. I think they're probably going to just say, well, whoever earns it, earns it and we'll figure it out. But I, I could sort, I could see that as being a reason why they'd mix it up too. I, at the end of the day, I, when you're going to rotate those three spots that much, I don't know that it matters all that much, which one is starting. It means something that you're on there for the first, the, the, you know, the, the first series of the game, I'm not going to dismiss it. It means nothing, but if you're switching them out every time, it means less. Got it. Okay. Real quick, then I'm going to get you out of here, Nathan. I know you're an AP poll voter and I wanted to get your thoughts real quick of what we've seen around the rest of the country so far. We got a big game up coming up this weekend, Alabama, Georgia. I thought Georgia looked very impressive last week against Tennessee. Clemson looked very impressive in their game against Miami. To me, those two programs really stood out. Georgia, it looks like they're getting more than competent quarterback play. To me, they look like le- like a legitimate playoff contender at this stage. I wanted to ask you, though, about Alabama's performance against Ole Miss. They gave up a lot of yards, 647 yards of total offense, 48 points. Did that change your view of Alabama at all? And then would you say this is now a four-team playoff race with the emergence of Georgia? So it didn't change my my view of Alabama that much. It did – I guess it didn't, it didn't make me think that they are something uh, less necessarily – how do I want to say this? <laughs> it's, I think there were some circumstances of that game that may have been a little bit unique. I'm not excusing that performance. It was a pretty horrendous defensive performance and one that you can't afford to have week to week in the SEC. I mean, that's, right. it's going to get them beat and they're not going to be a playoff team. But you're playing against uh, one of your former assistants. There were definitely been some talk out there as far as um, whether Lane Kiffin had some intel as far as signals and signs and things like that. And if that was a, a factor in that game, again, I'm not making excuses for Alabama. They have to be better. Um, I did. I do have, I think, a growing, growing more favorable impression of Georgia, though. Mm-hmm. And I, I really am intrigued by this matchup because you have a team that I mean, Georgia may be the best defense in the country, that, mm-hmm. at yeah. least as far as the ones who've actually played football games so far. Maybe Ohio State and somebody else will have something to say about that eventually. But the ones who have actually been out there right now playing at uh, the high level. They, they might be as good as anybody. And now to put that up against the firepower that Alabama has, because, you know, there are people out there who, when they hear me talk about Ohio State, say, well, what does it matter if their defense isn't all that good? Because they're just going to be amazing on offense. Well, go look at what Alabama's doing on offense right now. I mean, Mac Jones has been sensational. Yeah. Um, Oof, scary. Najee Harris in the backfield is just crushing people. They've got multiple great receivers. Um, it's just, it, it's what they can do on offense is really outlandish. So putting, having those two forces kind of go head to head is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, I do think it, it, you know, we had just done it. We do a thing called market down Monday every week on the mm-hmm. pod. And we had kind of redone our season predictions because so much had changed from the first time we did it. And we all picked Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama, and then Florida as our fourth playoff team. And then Florida immediately goes out and loses. Um, so I think Georgia <laughs> would probably take my spot there. The, the tricky thing though, is that, so Alabama and Georgia play this week and then they play again in the sec championship game, presumably, right. If, if Georgia takes care of its business against the rest of the sec East. So 
those teams, either one of them beats the other one twice or they split. If, if one of them beats the other one twice, it kind of knocks They're them out, out of playoff right, contention. Yeah. And if they split and we've never seen a team lose the conference championship game and still make the playoff. I think it would have happened last year. If Ohio state had, had gone on and lost that game to Wisconsin, I think they still probably would have just dropped to fourth, but still made the playoff because Georgia was the fifth team and they had two losses. Right. So I think it would have happened. There's other years where it probably would have happened if the like number one or two overall seed had lost in the conference championship game, but it hasn't actually happened yet. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. If Alabama, for instance, wins this game and then is the one or two seed and then Georgia beats them for the SEC championship, maybe that gets both of those teams in the playoff. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly a situation where they beat each other twice, one of them isn't getting in. And even if it's a split, I don't know we can guarantee that they're both getting in. So I think that fourth spot is very much still wide open. But I think those first three, I would expect still Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama just just disregarding what we saw from Alabama last week. I still think there's just so much offensive talent on that team. I think they find their way into one of those four spots. I would agree with that. Well, Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com. As my shrink likes to say, our time is up. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for joining this was very us. Very therapeutic. Very therapeutic. Excellent. Thanks so much, Nathan. Have a great day and we'll chat again with you soon. Great. Thanks a lot. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com